they're having Hawaiian pizza and a pastor's fellowship tonight. And I, I said, in all honesty, I get to fellowship down here with the folks at Coffs. I got a, a trip down with Pastor Mitch, um, get an evening with uh, your pastor PM, uh, and then back up tomorrow. I appreciate the invitation and I am delighted to be here. Greetings from Springwood, uh, from the little church up there over the border in the southern parts of Brisbane. Um, I've been pastoring there for nearly four years now. That's how long it's been. Um, just the early steps. And I think we're still in the honeymoon stage because they're still happy with me. <laughs> but I appreciate uh, the opportunity to get away. Um, I should clarify, my mother-in-law has flown up to keep my wife and children happy to help there, so I've been able to get away for the conference at Grafton with some help from my mother-in-law, whom now I owe. Please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and I'd like to draw our attention to a phrase that we find in verse 15, but it would be nice for us to read from verse 1 of Colossians 3, leading into the context of this one verse knowing that here the Apostle Paul establishes the right way of living for a heavenly citizen living on earth. And verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us that, If or since ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We'll continue reading down to verse 17. Verse 2, Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, ye shall, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which... Ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even if any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye." And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The verse and the phrase that I would like for us to think about together tonight is in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This verse or this, sorry, this chapter 
puts, uh, sets out for us the appropriate attire of a heavenly citizen, certain things that we are called to put off and called to put on, and you would be very well aware of these requirements and this instruction from Paul, I feel no need to talk to you about these things. Um, you can read the list and the Holy Spirit can convict you about each one of those things, um, and you know what's appropriate as Christians, I am sure. What I would like for us to draw our attention to is these priorities that are established and set forward for us as believers, heavenly citizens living on earth. And there are three things, verse 15, 16 and 17 set out three priorities to let the peace of Christ or God rule in our hearts. In verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And in verse 17, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So there's these priorities, these governing principles that ought to be true in the life of a believer. And it's tonight that I would like to look at verse 15 and the first one that Paul gives us. The peace of Christ or the peace of God ruling in our hearts. What is the peace of God and how do we let it rule? These are good questions because if we're exhorted by Paul to do this, then we need to know what it is he's asking us to do. Um, what does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule? It'd be good for us to know that there are two types of peace uh, that come from God. There is a, a judicial peace, a peace which takes place where uh, a sinner is made at peace with God through salvation. We understand that took place when our sins were forgiven and we were made new creatures in Christ and we are made at peace with God. And in fact, the verse in Romans 5 verse 1 tells us this, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And believers, you are at peace with God tonight. I'm convinced of that because I know if you're a Christian, you're at peace with God. But not every Christian has the peace of God, whether they are at peace with him which is true of every Christian. Not every Christian has the peace of God governing their life. Otherwise, Paul would not feel compelled to write to Christians and tell them, you need to let this peace rule you. Okay? So we are at peace with God as Christians. We've been reconciled by God, uh, to God by faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Once enemies, now sons, reconciliation has taken place through Calvary's tree. But the second type of peace is more a subjective experience, something that we can have and lose, find elusive to grasp and have, sometimes have it slip through our, our fingers. This kind of peace is the peace I believe Jesus was referring to in John 14. Turn to John 14 with me. When he wrote, when he wrote, Jesus didn't write this down, did he? John wrote this down. <clears throat> John 14 and verse 27. Jesus is speaking. He's spoken of the comforter in verse 26. Verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Shortly before Christ died on the cross, he assured his disciples that he would send them his peace, a peace that would be different from the world's. It would be a, a sustained peace that was not governed by circumstances. You've heard of Paul speak of a peace that passes understanding. This is the peace that we're talking about. In Philippians, when Paul was writing to those believers in chapter 4, verse 7, he said, And the peace of God, 
which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace would guard our hearts and our minds. It's a peace that transcends our understanding. It transcends our circumstances. It means that Christians are able to face some of the toughest uh, trials of life and yet remain calm. Uh, I've had an older lady in the church just last week had a heart attack uh, and was in hospital. She's had a stent put in and she's fine. But I remember going in to visit her in hospital and she was the happiest lady in the ward without doubt, joking with the nurses, laughing and carrying on. And she's saying, if the Lord takes me home, the Lord takes me home. She's, up, she's introducing me as Pastor Matt to everyone so she knows that she's a Christian and I'm the pastor. She's, she's just excited to have an opportunity to talk to people about the things of the Lord. Now, people in the wards, this is in the acute cardiac wing of the hospital. Everyone else is morose and miserable. Have you, you've been in these hospital wings. But Christians have a peace in the midst of circumstances which is you can't understand, or the world doesn't understand. It's different. My peace, Christ said, is different. The peace that he gives, the peace that he leaves with us is not as the world. He tells us that it's a peace that, that ought to lead us to not let our hearts be troubled, to not be governed by fear. Christ wants to give us the type of peace that David had at times, where he said of his shepherd, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for, before me in the presence of mine enemies. Circumstances don't rob a Christian of the peace of God. This is the kind of peace that I think Paul is talking about here where he says in verse 15 of Colossians 3, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What does the word rule mean here? Now this you would think, well, it's, it's obvious. And most times the word rule is translated in our, in, our, in our Bibles. It's the word that means to rule like a king. Right? You know, there's a king on a throne. He holds the scepter. He makes decisions. He's the one making. He's governing. He's leading. He's ruling. That's not what this word is. It's the ruling of an athletic judge or an adjudicator who determines whether the ball lies in or lies out. Or the person who watches, you know, the foot, the sand at the long jump. Right, and the, the, the runners come in and they, they leap and if their foot touches the sand, the back of their foot, or the, they, they touch the sand, then they're adjudicated that's not right. You, 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 you don't pass, right? that, that jump's illegal. That's the kind of ruling here. It's a judgment rule. It's a, an adjudication rule. Now that begs some questions for me because how do we as fundamental conservative Christians let the peace of God help us in our decision making? That's a that's not a comfortable place for us to be. And I will tell you straight away that if you feel you have a peace about something that is contrary to the word of God, that is not the peace of God. Right? Because the Holy Spirit will not give you peace to disobey God's word. This concept that I'm talking about tonight is important, but it stands united intimately with the word of the living God. You can't have peace apart from the word. And I want to make that very clear before Pastor Mitchell gives me a look from the front. <laughs> what is he saying? Right, the word of God is our authority. It is what governs our decision making first and foremost. Um, also, godly counsel governs our decision making to a degree. Um, but the peace of Christ ruling our hearts also aids in that process. Sometimes we have a peace about something, sometimes we do not. And God can lead us and help us in this way.
Colossians 2.18 tells us this, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary, voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. We need to let the peace of Christ umpire and govern our heart's decision amidst the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right, not be vainly puffed in our own fleshly mind and miss out on the reward that Christ has set aside for us. So guidance in decision making, determining the will of God. You remember what Pilate's wife said to Pilate? She had no peace the night before. She said, have nothing to do with this just man. All right? The Lord was leading Pilate's wife, potentially we could say, and, and removing that peace in order to lead to a decision. Um, Paul, when he speaks of making decisions, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll quote you a couple of verses. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was open unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence to Macedonia. You see, Paul had no, no peace or rest in his spirit because he couldn't find Titus. He was unsettled. And he, was, he made decisions based upon that. Now, it's possible for Christians to be deceived with a false peace, which is why the word of God must govern our decision making. We must test what we feel and how we respond to circumstances and filter it through the, the scriptures because they are our firm and fixed authority. It's far more safe, and you would agree, to trust in the word of the living God than how you feel. You would all agree? I hope you say amen. <laughs> You're all, yep, I'm awake. Sunday nights are a little harder sometimes. How do we, that's what I think letting the, the, the peace of Christ rule or govern or direct us is speaking about. But it begs the question, how do we let it do that? Because the word let is here, it's telling us that we have a part to play in this process. Let the peace of God rule. Allow the peace of God to rule. How do we as believers do that? How do we, what must we do to let this govern? And, and you know, as a Christian, what it is like to enjoy the peace of God in circumstances, that peace that passes on. How do we let that govern us? Well, I believe there are some disciplines that we must maintain, some things that need to be in place and some things that will rob us of the peace of Christ or the peace of God that he wants us to enjoy. And now the peace of God will rule only when we reject certain things. And if we let our minds be filled with anxieties and ungodly fears, then we will allow the peace to be robbed from us. Now, there are some reasons why people may struggle with this. And I fully admit that sometimes it is best and necessary for people to seek professional help when it comes to anxieties and fears. There are also spiritual problems that can lead to these, and we need to do our best to help. Paul told his congregation, the Philippian believers, who were being persecuted for their faith, to be careful or anxious for nothing. Not be overwhelmed, not be anxious, not be fearful. He's calling them to exchange what would be a normal response in the circumstances by anybody else, a rational response to persecution would be to fear for the ungodly. But he's calling these believers to respond not with the, the normal response to persecution, but to respond by casting their cares and not being anxious for these things, rejecting the fear. It's not rational 
to live in fear when the God who created heaven and earth is our heavenly father? Would it be rational for the daughter of a billionaire to be worried about bread for breakfast? Well, if her billionaire father loves her, then she has no need for concern, we would agree. How much more infinitely rich is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And how perfect is his love for you? Now, when we meditate on those things, the fears fade many times. The uncertainties and the concerns, they take a back seat to praise and worship and thanksgiving. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, argues from the greater to the lesser. You would understand that concept. And I'm not giving you time to turn because I don't want to, I don't want to preach too long, to be honest. I don't want to be respectful of that. But Romans chapter 8, I'll read you a couple of verses, verse 31 and 32. What shall we say, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall not he, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If God gave his son Christ to die on the cross to redeem fallen humanity, we can trust him to care for the needs of the day. It's so easy for me to trust Christ for the salvation of my soul yet somehow it's harder to trust God for the provision of tomorrow, which is an unusual dilemma because my soul is the most precious thing that I have and I trust God implicitly with it. So why do we struggle with the needs of tomorrow? There are some fears that rob believers of peace. I just want to mention some this evening and they may resonate with you and they may, um, they may be foreign to you. Some believers lose, that that peace of God is elusive to them. They they miss it or they find it difficult because they're fearful of failure. There are Christians who are just like the children of Israel who went to the Jordan River. The spies went through the land. They saw the giants of the land. They came back and said, the problems are too big. We We don't even want to try. I'm afraid of falling. I'm afraid of failing. They chose to not let the peace of Christ rule, to adjudicate what was right. They didn't trust God to, to, to give them a sense of, of comfort and calm and assurance to do what God had called them to do. They let the fear of failure govern their actions. And you know the consequences. An entire generation perished in the wilderness. The two faithful spies enjoyed the promised land. Even Moses perished outside the land of promise. The fear of failure. This is a fear, this next one is the fear that I struggle with. It's a fear of people. It's a fear of what people may think. You try and do things to keep people happy and guess what? The peace of God is elusive. It's a very easy temptation to succumb to, particularly in ministry. I'm kind of not looking down here at the pastors and they're, they're like, they understand. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's easier to say what you think people want to hear than what God is expecting you to say. And you can be guilty of just taking light steps where God wants you to stand firmly. And in doing so, you can lose that, that confidence and that stillness and the peace that God wants us to have.
If you're worried about what others think, you're worried about the wrong people. It is far more important to worry about what God thinks and let that govern you. Uh, A lot of believers, we've been talking about this uh, a little bit over the course of the weekend, a lot of believers are fearful for the future. The conspiracies abound. And they may be true. I'm not, I don't want to enter into an, an argument about whether the conspiracy theories have truth or not. But what I want to tell you is, as a Christian, the end of this story is glorious. And I know things are going to get a whole lot harder between now and Christ ruling from the holy city and the millennial kingdom and the saints returning. There's a whole lot of tribulation, you know, that's between now and then. And the world is getting worse. I, I'm not blind to that. But my God, my father, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he sets up kings and he casts them down and he turns the hearts of kings, he loves me perfectly. And if he wants me to pastor and stand and proclaim the truth in Brisbane, though the world would persecute, I'm just going to do that. I'm not going to worry about these things. The fear of the future can rob us of the peace of Christ. Fear tries to rule, doesn't it? Fear wants to to govern the way you think. It wants to govern your decisions and the way you respond to circumstances. It wants to adjudicate. It wants to say, this is right, this is wrong, this is going to bring you the most comfort. That's what fear tries to do. And it might be the fear of people, it might be the fear of failure, it might be the fear of the future. But often if we let fear be that judge, you know, the, the tennis umpire sitting there saying that ball was out. If we let fear sit on that throne and dictate whether that's okay or not, we have no peace. But if we allow the peace of God to adjudicate for us, in line with the scriptures, always in line with the scriptures, then we have much better influence. So the peace of God, there are some things that rob the peace of God, but I want us to see that in order to let the peace rule, we need to, to control our thoughts and not let fear rule, but we also need to live in an atmosphere of prayer. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Pardon me. Philippians chapter 4, another cha- passage that you will know well. Chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. We, we talked about that. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The first we talked about, be careful, pardon me, for nothing. Don't let anxious thoughts and fearful thoughts control you. Be careful for nothing, but pray. Now, if I asked you a question, would you consider yourself to be governed and ruled by the peace of God? Most Christians would say, not so much. Right. The next question that I ask you is this, what's your prayer life like? And that will probably highlight where that lack of peace comes from. Because if a Christian is living in that place of prayer and in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your request be made known unto God, then the peace of God will keep our hearts. So th- this is established for us in Philippians chapter 4. Our prayer, our supplication, our intercession, our thanksgiving, all of these things. Is this a habit that we have? I love older folks in the Lord. And the church that I've been sent from down in Bendigo, where where I I got saved and I was trained for the ministry. There are some older men and women down there that tell me they pray for me every day. And I know 
that that means a lot. I'm worried because the man that prays for me every day has got a heart condition and I'm selfish, clearly, and I don't want to lose my prayer support. I, the younger generation, we, we don't see the, the effect, maybe, the urgency or the value of prayer the way the older folks do. And I suspect what will happen is the older folks will pass off onto glory and then the younger ones will get older and then we'll start to see the need to pray and then it'll be a cycle and the baton will be passed on. But I really worry that the baton gets dropped and I fall through the cracks. And that makes me selfish again. Folks, pray. Pray, pray and pray. Not just for me, although that's wonderful, please do. But pray that the Lord might keep your hearts and your minds, keep you... Uh, governed by a peace of God. No peace. If you have no peace, no, no governing peace, then what's your prayer life like? And this is in hand and it flows on in the same passage. Don't be anxious. Pray. And verse 7, the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are. And you know the passage? The things that are true, the things that are honest and just and pure and lovely things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I want to ask you tonight, do you think that the peace of Christ is influenced by our thought life? Of course it is. Tell them, don't be anxious, that's your thought life. Pray rather than be anxious. Now he says, think on good things. And if you're struggling just within yourself with, with a lack of peace, then you need to ask yourself the question, what am I thinking on? What am I meditating upon? What is the thought that consumes my mind? What does my thought run to when I have free time? I know the answer to that question personally, and I'm not going to share it with you publicly. All right? All right. I know when I have a few minutes just to myself where my mind runs and the thoughts that I entertain and the things that I like thinking about. And I'll let you in on a secret. It's, it's, it's not always the things of the Lord. All right. But that's, that governs, and it's not, so I should clarify, now you're all thinking the wrong thing. It's about gardening. It's just gardening. But it is not profitable spiritually. And it may become, if not kept in check, an idol, even good things. So what I'm talking about is when we have free time, where does your mind run? When your mind's not busy working out this or sorting out this or planning for this, where does your mind go and where do you entertain yourself? And does it fit through the grid of Philippians chapter 4? And we've got verse 8 and 9 here. We need to govern our thinking. There's some discipline involved, prayerful discipline, thoughtful discipline. And I want to warn us here just at this juncture and say discipline can become a check the box mentality that doesn't give you peace. You can pray every day from the hours of 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And again at 6 p.m. You can, you can have a disciplined regime of spiritual work. You can pray and you can think and you can meditate and you can do it for the wrong reasons and still have no peace. So be careful that your spiritual discipline is not something you pat yourself on the back over and think to yourself, wow, I'm glad I did that. Really, that's, that's good that I've got this, this sorted out. I've had my quiet time. I've, I've honoured the Lord in this. And those are good things, but don't pat yourself on the back. Don't tick the box. Don't, don't think that that's going to be enough. The peace that God brings comes in an atmosphere of prayer, an atmosphere of meditation, of controlled thought. Um, but not just our thoughts, not just our prayers, not just an absence of 
thinking on anxious things. But in verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's that little word? Starts with D, ends in O. There's some doing involved as well. We need to do the things that we know is right. And this is the flowing, this thought all flows together. Um, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And this, this is a, you know, do we want the God of peace to be with us? I do. <laughs> I definitely do. I want him with me in the circumstances of life I face, and there are some things we can think about in order to establish that. We need to think and pray and do that which is right. Isaiah 26, verse 3, a verse about keeping your mind. The Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. God keeps perfect peace in the minds of those that are stayed on him. If a person who loves you gives you an expensive piece of jewellery, is it given just for your pleasure? It's not given for you to enjoy, but it's given as a reminder. It's given to help you think about the intimate relationship that you share together. To enjoy the jewellery without thinking about the giver is a misuse and abuse of the gift. And now I'll say this and I'll repeat it so I hope that it makes sense. If I give my wife, this is complete fantasy because I'm not very good at giving jewellery, but if I give her a beautiful diamond bracelet, sounds nice, and she goes around telling everyone how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is and how much it costs and how she, it looks so nice on her wrist and she never once says that her husband gave it to her, then she's not really understanding the purpose for the gift. She's missing the point. I didn't give my wife a wedding ring so she could have that added to her wardrobe. Her ring is a reminder to her and to everybody else that she's in a relationship with me. Do you think God gives good and perfect gifts for us to enjoy or for us to be reminded of him? Or both? Both. My wife's allowed to enjoy her diamond bracelet that I've never given her. Right? She should enjoy the fact that I imaginary gave it to her. I did give her a wedding ring. You see, he gives to all life and breath and all things, Acts 17.25. And each breath that we breathe in and we breathe out ought to be a reminder of our dependence on God. The food we eat, uh, the things that we, we our jobs, the money we, we have that God sends... These gifts ought to remind us of a good giver. We need to think on righteous things. Think on the one who gives good things. So how else? We practice righteousness. We do what's right. Now there's, there's some verses that we could look at. We have a little bit of time. Verse Psalm 32. Let's turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Peace does not coexist with sin. Have you noticed that? And if there's ever something that robs a believer of the peace of God, not peace with God, you can't lose your salvation, that 
that transaction is dealt with and you stand justified before God and that will not change if you're a Christian. But you can lose the experience, the, the, the peace that Christ gave to his followers um, through sin. Psalm 20, uh, sorry, 32 verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. David says, blessed or happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin, in whose spirit there's no deceit. Happiness and blessedness come to those who walk in righteousness. We live in sin. We can't have the peace of God. Instead, we get the discipline of God, which is still love, and it's still administered perfectly. And I actually... I... I like the chastising hand of my father because it reminds me of one thing. He loves me and doesn't want to let me go astray. It's, that's what I tell myself because that's the bigger picture, isn't it? No chastisement for the present is, is pleasant. It seems grievous, doesn't it? But if we remember that our God is disciplining and chastising us because he doesn't want us to go the way we're going and he wants us to enjoy a peace ruling our heart, then we can rejoice. And you've had that with your own children, I'm sure. Through the tears, they know they've deserved the consequence for their action. And they might be crying with tears streaming down their face. But when there's a, that moment passes and they turn back and they give you that hug and they say that they love you and they're really sorry and that they know they did the wrong thing, they know that they're loved in a way that the children who never get that chastisement never know. We see that in our youth ministry. You see that in yours? You see a lack. These children just don't know the love of a father um, in this. And they probably would say, excellent, but it's not a pleasant place to be. The peace of Christ ruling our hearts when we practice righteousness, if we live in sin, this heaviness of soul that David spoke of, the, the bones waxing old, the, through roaring all the day long, uh, my... For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Have you ever felt the heavy hand of the Father? A couple of thoughts just as we kind of wrap this up. Come back to Colossians chapter 3. Because there's more than just the, the individual relationship in mind here in, in Paul's writing. Because he says in verse 15, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you're also called in one body and be thankful. So there's a, there's a communal aspect to this. There's a, there's a relationship with a community of believers. Isn't it true that when we're walking in unity with brothers and sisters in Christ, there's peace? And when we're walking in discord with brethren, there's no peace. So this personal kind of thought that we've been traveling through and the instruction to let God's peace rule now starts to be expanded to the body. And he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body 
and be ye thankful. Are you thankful for your brothers and sisters? Of course you are. I am. Um, sometimes we can be mistreated and misunderstood. Sometimes we can be hurt dreadfully uh, by those perhaps intentionally or perhaps without meaning. Um, but if we hold grudges amongst the, the body of Christ, this is an elusive peace that can't be grasped. We're members of one body. And when one body part is not functioning well or it's sick or spiritually suffering, then there's discord amongst the body. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's David speaking in Psalm 133. When there's peace and unity among brothers, that's where God's blessing is. So just as we finish, I want to ask three questions that might help you. Will the action that you're thinking about taking disrupt your peace with God? We need to cultivate, develop a, a bit of a sensitivity to this and ask ourselves this question often. Will taking that job influence my peace with God? Will it rob me of that peace? Will it, will it influence me in a negative way? Sin always causes discord. And if it's sinful and the scriptures tell us plainly that it's sin, well, you'd be foolish to do it. I was going to say stupid, but that's a hard word. It's probably true. Don't sin willfully. Just don't. It robs you of everything God intends for his people. It always hurts. So you ask the question, and you, you want to dwell in this place where the peace of God rules in your heart, so you're thinking to yourself, I ask the question, will, will going here, doing this, following this course of action, will it disrupt my peace with God? Then I ask myself the next question, will it disrupt my peace with the body? Will it break my fellowship? Will it hurt people? Will it divide? Will it offend? Will it, will it cause conflict where it's not necessary? Will this course of action disrupt not just my peace, but the, the, the communal peace, the peace of the body? Um, if it causes discord, I don't think we should do it. I don't want to be legalistic about that, but we want to be aware that we don't want to disrupt the peace of a body of Christ. Has God given my heart peace to go in this direction? Um, Christians need to ask these questions and develop a sensitivity. But as I've said, I hope often enough, this is not in lieu of the, the scriptures. The word of God must govern our decisions. But when I'm trying to work out whether this is the right way to go or this is the right thing to do, the peace of God is part of that decision making. Sometimes we don't have it and we must listen to the Lord's conviction. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the time. Thank you for the gathering of your people. Thank you for the privilege of your word and the safety we have in, in our country to own, to preach, to consider even to, to publicly proclaim the word of God like this. I thank you for the gathering and pray that your, your name and your character and your word may be just lifted up within each one of us, that you might be exalted in our minds and that, Lord, you might lead us in the way we should go. Help us to walk by faith this week, to take those opportunities, the doors, the moments, the seasons of opportunity as they arise, to share with others the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be discerning believers, walking worthy of our vocation wherewith, wherewith we've been called.
So I pray that we might walk faithfully this week as bright testimonies for our Saviour, ambassadors, representatives for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.